Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. So, huge announcement. Pathfinder is making a 2nd Edition of its rulebook. The playtest for that edition is going to be released on August 2nd, conveniently at Gen Con. Uh, I'm sure that will be our, like, huge, gigantic, you know, uh, focus in the same way that, pa- or Star- sorry, Starfinder was last year at Gen Con. Um, but the question remains, what on earth is Pathfinder 2nd Edition going to shape up to look like? Uh, especially because, like, Path- you know, like, Pathfinder is an outgrowth of, like, the 3.5 rules and uh, and where you know like and where is it going to go from here is a pretty huge question. So I have a wish list. There's a lot of stuff that they've released already that we can talk about. Very exciting, very exciting. Uh, so so yeah, yeah. I'm honestly a little bit surprised. I kind of couldn't believe it. Uh, so so I was thinking the same thing. I was expecting. So I thought Starfinder was going to be like a Star uh, Pathfinder 1.5, and then like another five years to get Pathfinder 2. But the more I think about it, the more this makes sense that Jason Bowman wasn't working on Starfinder. Oh my god, yeah. Like like as soon like you know, as, as soon as this came out, I was like, you know what? That that's why he was so separated separated from, from the Starfinder team. Um also maybe explains why Ultimate Wilderness wasn't the greatest thing. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, not, th- not that I want to shit on them because I, I do love Paizo. Um but uh, I'm I'm super I'm super hyped for this. Um, I hope that they do take some of the uh, a lot of the stuff from Starfinder. Um, that was like my second thought immediately afterwards. Is like, well, maybe this means that Starfinder wasn't as much influenced by what they wanted to do moving forward. And maybe it was kind of developmentally segmented off. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, let's go over some of the stuff we do know. Um, looking at some of their community blog stuff, um, the biggest thing they've given us a little bit of insight into is this new action system, which is, uh, it's instead of, uh, instead of, as they put it, the seven type of actions they had, they have, uh, three actions per turn and it takes most things take an action to do and some things don't take an action. Um, it's supposed to simplify the system greatly. Buddy, what do you think of this? I love this. I think that this is a fantastic change. Um, the, everybody gets three actions during their turn. Um, and so it kind of gets rid of stuff like full attacks or whatever, where you can... Um, and, and instead kind of like standardizes that uh, uh, quite a bit, which I think is actually pretty great. I think it opens up the possibility that you can do, you know, like that you can, I don't know, do something that is three actions in your turn. Um and it's like hugely monumental, right? But or it also kind of like it makes stuff like spring attack baseline, right? Because now, oh sorry, excuse me. Now I can move attack move. Um, it also removes uh, certain um, like like penalties that that exist in the game. Like for instance, um, I'm sure we'll talk about like armor and stuff later because I've kind of pitched this to a certain extent. Uh, but the amount that armor hampers your movement speed is a lot less of an issue when you can take two move action, like you can move twice and still attack efficiently. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
And so overall, I think that this is a great change. But the best part of this change is how they talk about reactions, right? Which is that everyone gets uh, three actions on their turn, but they also get a reaction in the same way that you used to get one, um, like, immediate action? Was that the interrupt? Uh, um, well, immediates were shared with Swifts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, you were you were only allowed to take one immediate action on your turn. Not that everybody anybody ever, like, remembered that kind of thing. Uh, but now you have reactions, and reactions are specifically class-based. So, it's not just that everybody gets to take AOOs. Um, it's that only specific types of characters can take AOOs. Uh, and I think that expanding that kind of a system is insanely cool and interesting. Um, when they talk about actions, they were, they were talking about how, like, a paladin can use an action to raise a shield to increase his AC for the round. And that also activates the reaction that he can attack someone if he's hit with an attack, right? Uh, and I think that that's very cool, right? Like, I think that there's a lot, um, that there's a lot of, like, nuance, uh, that you can, that you can find in a system that's as elegant as this one. Yeah, um... I also think that uh, kind of the, the the kind of pieces that they've layered on top of this is essentially um, kind of the the base. So, for a little bit of context, they released a blog post with kind of like the general overview of two E, and then they released this all about actions post. Um, and in the first case, it seemed like that they were just kind of making AOOs kind of fighter specific, but but they they've made it clearly kind of. They're broadening out the horizons of what reactions can be, because um, uh, the the shield thing that they they mentioned is um, that you can use a reaction to reduce the damage coming incoming by the amount of hardness on the shield, um, and so kind of adding that versatility into the toolkit, being able to reduce damage versus uh, versus throw throw an AOO, um, I think is really neat. Um, I am hopeful that. Uh, a lot of some of these options will be open to other classes via uh, feats and other things, which is Paizo is generally really good at. Um, uh, something that this reminds me of, and I think is a theme, is that the there seems to be a kind of um, push towards stuff that we've seen in 5e, uh, which I like 5e a lot. Um, and I think that, you know, if all we got was 5e, but with monthly splat instead of like the one book a year that 5e gets i'd be ecstatic um uh, just because i like character options yeah um uh i know not everybody feels the same way about that but uh uh this looks like it's also going to have some really cool kind of expansions on on some of those ideas while staying closer to the uh uh, the, the the Pathfinder flexibility core, which is you know, I think why you play Pathfinder over Five E is because is you want that three five variety crunch um, that they've built out so well, um, and that uh, they're gonna. Yeah, I'm actually a little bit sad that they've talked about moving things to a level by level proficiency bonus. I actually don't like that kind of a system and wish that it was a little bit more diversified. Um, something that I've always wanted to see is kind of a, um, it's like, so, okay. So maybe each class does get a, a proficiency bonus that goes up level by level. But for instance, if you play a wizard, that proficiency bonus goes into your casting DCs or something, right? And if you're a fighter, that goes into your base attack bonus, essentially, right? And maybe if you're, you know what I mean? And, and it gets kind of spread around a little bit, um, and in different kind of like spaces, um, 
Like, uh, like I don't quite mind making making skill like tying skills to this kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but I don't necessarily like the idea that everything gets rolled back into your level uh, because, in a lot of ways, that reminds me of kind of the failings of Fourth Edition. Uh, and Fourth Edition is a system I, I love dearly, right? But at the end of the day, making the most powerful number on your character sheet your level divided by two. Um, kind of really de-emphasizes all of the other choices that you get to make uh, in giving yourself, you know, bonuses from a numerical standpoint. And so the Captain Crunch in me um, doesn't like a proficiency bonus because it kind of, like, washes away, like, washes out um, a lot of the, uh, like, the, the, the different ways that you can build a character in the system. See, I, 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 I see your concern, but I just don't think that that shakes out so I think that the way it is right now, you've got about the same amount of problems, right? Like we act like it's not your level, your, your character level. That's the, the 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 most important thing in the system, but that's how it works for skills. For anybody that's a full BAB, it's the same thing there. Um, and you're just kind of like throwing around other little bonuses. Otherwise, I think a proficiency bonus that scales slower is ultimately better for differentiating characters because it makes the um, the the attribute bonuses matter more. Yeah, I do. I do agree. I think that's why it's successful in five E, because uh, it doesn't go from you know plus one to plus twenty or whatever. I mean, though, uh, even four E only went it up went up to plus fifteen. Um, but uh, uh, but I think that the, keeping the proficiency bonuses down in five E and kind of flattening those numbers means that every additional plus one you can pick up is that much more meaningful from like a percentage standpoint, right? You know what I mean? If you have you know, if you're a max level character in 5e and you have, you know, like a, like a plus 10 to attack, another plus one is a 10% increase. Whereas in Pathfinder, right, another plus one is like a 2% increase. And that's a lot less valuable. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, hmm. I definitely, I definitely feel that, um, I think part of that in 5e is mitigated by the fact that you don't have a lot of numerical bonuses. It's mostly advantage and disadvantage, which really, like, that really, like, screw, like screws with the curve of that entirely. And also the provision bonuses, I don't mm -hmm. think, get up to plus 10. Like, they, they scale very slowly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I actually kind of hope that... I, I like bigger scaling numbers because, um, like, it is... It's just, like, a more satisfying thing, I think, to be, like, rolling big hits kind of thing. Um, yeah, no, I, I hope that Pathfinder 2 does keep... A lot of the plus uh, plus bonuses, rather than moving to I, like I I would actually be kind of sad if it moved to the advantage advantage system, just because that that pulls out so much complexity that you can introduce um, from it. Um, also, if you go with the flattened numbers approach, you can't do some of the cool stuff you see in Starfinder with equipment because um, everything has to stay a little bit flatter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, I, I think that's another big, big piece of it is kind of the way that they're going to be revamping magical items and stuff like that. Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of the bonuses that you get in Pathfinder are boiled down to the magic items that you essentially have to pick up. But even though um, even though that stuff is a calculation, right, like it's not like a real choice, at, like because it's just so obvious that you need, you know... The big six or whatever it is. Yeah, the, yeah exactly, right. But like, uh, that's still feels better than me getting an incremental plus one um on on, on level up um, yeah 
Yeah, mostly can... because it's a lot more infrequent, right? And the and the bonuses tend to be much bigger. So like when I save up for like you know forty five thousand gold to get you know and upgrade my plus two belt of giant strength to a plus six belt of giant strength, that's like a big leap and it feels more impactful than just like you leveled up and now everything got bumped by one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, and I think that. Having the system built from the ground up without those bonuses in mind will feel a lot better than automatic... Because automatic bonus progression was a halfway measure to make make characters line up with content that was designed with kind of the big six in mind or the big seven. I forget how many it is, but, you know. Six, yeah, I think it's six, yeah. The sign with those, st those stat boosts in mind. So having it built from the ground up without them there, I think, will allow magic items to feel more impactful. I'll, um... I'll put out there that I don't know how typical 5e games go, but the one that I'm playing in, magic items are super rare, and so they're a super big deal. Um, and they, they they feel super impactful because of that. Interesting. I actually kind of hope, I mean, a lot of my, a lot of my uh, thoughts kind of come from like a WoW space right now because I'm like playing so much WoW and it's so like heavily on my mind. But I actually kind of hope that they create something a little bit like the, the legendaries. I think that would be very neat if they had like you have kind of two versions of of um, uh, magic items. You have kind of like the regular part and parcel magic items that you get as as like time goes on, uh, but then you have like artifacts that are uh, that that's something that we've baked into basically all of our games um, at this point. Like we really like using kind of artifacts to give people unique things, but I think that that would actually be a very cool thing for them to kind of like bake into the system itself, right? Is that like there are these artifacts, they re like they interact with the class in various different ways and provide huge substantial bonuses, um, you know, and maybe it's it's like codified somehow that like, you know, by the time you're level 10, everybody should have one. By the time you're level 20, everybody should have two or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, just because I think that that's such a neat... I just think that's such a neat system and idea. And it's, like, the reason that we've adopted it so thoroughly into our games. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think part of it is that I think some of those items exist in Pathfinder already. I think a lot of them do. Um, the kind of, like, neat side, of, like, side effect thing is just that they get consistently passed over for... Plus 1d6 fire damage. Plus 2 to natural armor. Right? Which is, I, I think this system will... I, I think if they're, if it's anything like what, what they're talking about, it, it should address pre, pretty sufficiently. Yeah. Yeah, I also, I also think that the ability to, like, work with someone's class and, like, pump... You know what I mean? Like, you get a thing, and as long as you're wearing this thing, right? Like, and you're a rogue or something, um, you know... So, you know, like, all of your ones on sneak attack die become twos. You know yeah. what I mean? Just, like, stuff like that that, like, creates um, that creates a bonus or an incentive uh, that is unique to the class and unique to the player in a, in a certain way. And that, the D, like, the DM can give out in a um, uh, regimented is kind of the wrong way, but, like, in a very, like, purposeful way. Um, yeah. I think that that, be, that being part of the system is... Uh, is pretty good. Though I also wouldn't mind if this was like a if like the line between mundane and magic got kind of traversed. Um, so so I, I'd like to point out that that I hope that it doesn't get too specialized into classes, because like as much as I, I appreciate what they do in WoW, I one of the things I like about about uh, PF a lot, and you might disagree with me on this, is that 
you can kind of approach the same context concept from a lot of different directions. We've talked about this, how like, you know, you can build the same kind of character as a war priest or a paladin or a cleric or a particularly devout fighter. And I like some of the, like a lot of the aspects of that. And I hope that like not so much is writing particularly on any of the individual class mechanics. I, yeah, um, I, I definitely wouldn't say um, that I think uh, any of those kinds of things can't be made applicable where necessary, I guess. Um, but I also think that, you know, with, with Pathfinder 2.0, they are going to, uh, you know, like, we're not walking in with war priests. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that things will be a little bit more differentiated in terms of, uh, kind of how they function from the ground up, which I'm, which I'm interested in seeing. Um, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I'm actually afraid that they're going to fuck with uh, archetypes too much. Uh, oh, you mean how? How so? Go go into that. Uh, the so the art the way that archetypes currently work in Pathfinder is very cool, very flavorful, very interesting. I think there's a lot there. Um, and it's a, and it's a, a very fun system that they have in place. Um, they changed that in Starfinder in a way that, like, I kind of get it, but I also don't like it all that much. And I'm almost afraid that they're going to do archetypes in Starfinder the way that they do Pathfinder, which I would Ooh. not like. Yeah, I hope they don't either. I, I I think I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I think that's that's a justified fear. I'm, yeah, I'm not quite. Uh, in the place to say that it's a mistake, you know what I mean? The way that Pathfinder, or I'm sorry, that Starfinder did it, like, I, I do think that there are kind of, like, strengths and, and weaknesses, but uh, for my money, man, like, that the way that the way that Pathfinder has it set up is just the best and most interesting way to do it. I absolutely agree. Um, I actually, speaking of that, I'm, I'm excited to see what, if they do anything better with the Starfinder archetypes. Like, I'm not completely opposed to the idea of having archetypes that are divorced from class. Um, I just think that the ones that they have so far aren't interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, I also like the uh, um, the one that they... Uh, the ones that they've included, but I kind of wish that there was just, like, a whole different system. I mean, Starfinder is a little bit different because, like, there are more ways to customize. We talked about this on yeah. the Starfinder cast, right? Like you know, mechanic tricks and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I have a certain kind of love for how um, the, the how, how I can customize myself to the specifics of a setting or, or, or a game um, with the Pathfinder archetypes. And I also think that Pathfinder is like, Pathfinder at the end of the day is, is drawing, a, is, is casting a wider net than Starfinder is. Yeah. Um, there is more stuff that they want you to be able to do, right? It's not just, you know, sword and sorcery, right? It's Game of Thrones political inquiry, right? Like, it's, it's you know, Pirates of the Caribbean swashbuckling adventures, right? It's Indiana Jones delving into, you know, Egyptian tombs, right? There's, there's a lot more that, that, that is encompassed in Galarian and in the Pathfinder system, um, than just the kind of like one specific note, and there are the, there are versions of this also in Starfinder, right? Like I think you could just as easily have, um, or not just as easily, but I think you could very interestingly play a kind of neuromancer cyberpunk game in Starfinder, right? 
Um, but uh, overall, I, I feel as though it doesn't have the same need to kind of like make your your archetypes uh, track uh, to to the sp- in, to specificity in the same way. Yeah, no, I I uh, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think I I what was I gonna say? I, I really enjoy. Um, the way that this kind of pathing thing is is uh, is played out in Five E, um, and I, like I said, I think there's shades of that in in Starfinder, and I think with if archetypes are built into the core, that maybe that's something that it looks like, where like your archetype is kind of the thing you choose from the outset, rather than being like. Oh, I, I can I can imagine a version of classes like, where like there is sub- no core fighter, right? Like in Five E, you have subclasses or whatever. Well, like it depends. Rename yeah. subcla- subclasses to archetypes. archetypes. Yeah, they're not called subclasses in Five. In Five E, oh. each each in Five E, there's like a couple breakpoints for each class, and they're all named different. Like uh, like like uh, warlocks. There's like your pact and your um. And your what's it called? Uh, and and your your uh, your 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 patron, um, uh, and the, all the classes have different names for them. Like there's circle for druids, um, but like something like that, I think would fit very nicely. Like I think that that's art. Like that's archetypes built in, and I think that that's something that I could very easily see pies were doing. And honestly, I think they would have done if archetypes were in the game from the beginning. It's hard to it's. It's funny to remember that archetypes weren't in the core rulebook, um, and if they kill, I, I God, I hope to God they just kill prestige classes. Uh, me too, me too. I really, really hope they get they do away with prestige classes. But I actually do think that they could introduce a cool system called. Uh, this is actually kind of part of my wish list idea, called prestige, which is. At level 10, everybody gets one. You know how... Okay, okay. You know how we all talk about capstones? Nobody ever fucking yeah. gets capstones, but they're always really cool. What if you built capstones into the system, but at level 10, you called them prestige, and they were, like, a specific... way, Like, you know what I mean? Like, they were, like, a very cool, big, impactful choice moment, right? But it comes at level 10 instead of at level 20, which nobody ever fucking gets to. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I've been sitting on this... Basically, yeah, yeah. since we talked about the witch list, and I really wanted to talk about it, but I think that that would be such a great idea. Pies, don't listen to this podcast and do this. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I I think that'd be I think that'd be uh, really cool. I think either, there's other ways to implement implement those types of things too. I think, um, like um, maybe like taking like a, like a a path or something at level yeah. five yeah, and that, like that, having that, it cap out at 15. Had. Yeah. Um, you had, I don't remember what they're called. I think they were actually called prestige paths. Yeah. There was something uh, like that. Yeah. Where, you know, like, and then over the next couple of levels, it like, it was like a further kind of subtype or whatever. Um, and I definitely think that would, that would be cool, but I'm, I'm interested in like a big power jump at level 10 where you get to kind of like play with the, you know, in the same way that I look at, you know, that I look at any of the capstone abilities and I'm like, wow, that's really neat. You know what I mean? I want to see that at level 10 for characters where it's actually more attainable than at level 20. Yeah. And also, also they, they have to be like capstones very wildly in quality, but no one gives a shit. Cause again, no one ever gets to them. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to see like some of like the cooler stuff there built out too. I think I agree with you. I'd also like to see kind of in that same vein, um, maybe leaning into the way that they did variant multi-classing in, in Unchained um, as a way to kind of introduce some flavor um, where you basically, like, replace a bunch of your feats with 
uh, with with class features. I think it wasn't done great, but I think that's an I think variant multiclassing is a cool way to do um uh to to do something like prestige classes um right. or multiclassing even um and it's also a thing that you could also do um if you wanted to like one one of the things that I toyed around with in some of my own stuff that I they never ended up implementing was uh giving you giving players a free variant multiclass like instead of having replace feats just layer it on top um for like a really high powered game um I think that that like having systems that that work on substitution like that lets you do those kinds of things without uh, taking too much away from uh, like it lets it lets GMs experiment more and gives them easier ways to mechanically integrate those types of things. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I also think to a certain extent that kind of thing can be built into feats, uh, but I also don't know much about feats in the new system. Yeah, they haven't said a lot. They've mentioned the word feats. And I, uh, I really hope that they, uh, that they, that they have the same type of feat heaviness and feat diversity. It's nothing I don't like about five E is that you get a feat once every four or five levels, and that's it. And ah, that's that feels a, bad. And it's an optional system. It, it's, uh, it's, uh, in place of your stat bonus, which is actually kind of important. So, um, you can't just like take them all the time. Yeah, that, uh, that seems wrong. I think I actually think that they should do feats every other level still. Yeah. Um, I think to a certain extent, you want to get rid of power. You want to, like, siphon power off of feats. Um, at least specifically in certain kind of, like... I don't think you want weapon specialization, weapon focus, right? Like, a lot of these, like, flat damage feats, I think. Yeah, I, I, th I think you want to eliminate uh, feat taxes, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, awful. Yeah, come on. Like, get rid of all that kind of stuff. Um, but I also think that um, uh, they've talked a lot about um, ancestral feats. Well, actually, so this is cool. So they've talked about removing the term race, and they're instead going with ancestry. Um, and, uh, and how, at character creation, everybody chooses an ancestral feat. Um, I think this is... Uh, if there's any part of Pathfinder that I think has been poorly serviced it is races and racial like identity you know what i mean yeah um, i think that they've kind of missed the mark with new races right they haven't added new races to the game uh new races are you know what i mean and and i compare this to uh when the p excuse me when the php2 came out for fourth edition right it added a whole bunch of races to the game that people immediately jumped on right stuff like half orc um you know stuff like the two different uh, the two different shifter forms, um, and uh, uh, and I think that that's that's like a cool part of the game, right? Is is creating new races and finding new races, you know, like new races that you can uh, that you can play as, <clears throat> and um, and on top of that, I think diversifying racial features so that there is some choice involved in it is the single best way to handle the problem, right, um, insofar as you want to call it a problem, um, of races uh, being, like, divvied up to, like, classes and stuff like that. Because I think it allows you to kind of, like, fix some of the problems that exist in the in the power budget of races um, influencing class decision too much, right? Like, the, the no, you can't play, or, I'm sorry, not gnome, uh, you can't play a dwarf sorcerer, right? Right. Uh, because so much of the racial power budget is in those stat bonuses but imagine a racial feat that says you know 
you get a plus, you know, you, you no longer take a penalty to charisma, but instead take one to this. And here's some other benefit that's specific to casting to like specifically allow a, an avenue for someone to kind of play like an off race class combo or something. Do you know what I mean? I think I, that would be amazing. I, I see what you mean, but I think that those problems are solved better in stat allocation than in race allocation. Like, uh, I think, again, the way that 5e and Starfinder handle it, do more for that, which is essentially um, if you make your beginning stat allocation uh, flat instead of, instead of uh, what's the word I want to look 18.5, 15-point buy. Well, but like in Starfinder, the 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 the, the point buy is flat, uh, right. right? Like you you spend one point to go up one point every time, whereas in Pathfinder, if you go from like fourteen to fifteen, it's like three or four points, right? And making that flat in Starfinder solves a lot of that problem because you could just invest more points on the front side without having that be prohibitively expensive. Um, and the way that five E I think also handle, helps with that too is that in addition to being flat, there's like a hard cap at twenty for all the stats. Um, and so you're never always behind. Starfinder doesn't have that hard cap, but it makes it harder to advance once you're past the 17 mark. Like, the, the stat increases are less intense. Um, and I think all of that lets you do, like, like off-builds a lot easier. And I think they could easily put something like that in here. Right. Um, uh, although I do agree with you that having kind of... Um, more diversifying racial feats in here would be really cool. I think calling it ancestry, um, I if if it goes the way I hope it it is, it means you can do things like I'm a, you know, half orc, half dwarf, um, and you just like pick one of them, and you don't have to think about how that mechanically works. Which you can kind of do now anyway, but like kind of having that codified, I think makes it makes it feel better for for players, right? Um. Because I, I, I think that there's, as much as you can do whatever you want in a lot of ways, there's a lot that kind of feels like you won't do it unless it's kind of officially sanctioned by the rules. Yeah. Um, especially especially the more you play a system, the more that that happens. It, it's this weird phenomena where, like, players who are new to the game don't understand their limitations, so they ask if they can do something. The GM's like, sure, we'll figure it out. And they, like, make rulings for it. But as you play the game where you're like, well, this is what my sheet says I can do. And I think that's a theater kid versus Captain Crunch mechanic or uh, feature at some points. But I also think it's like a, the more you play the system, the more you kind of play to the core of that system rather than trying to dodge around the outside. And making the rules more open kind of in, the, uh, in what's written leads to more open behavior in what's played. Yeah, I almost kind of think that maybe that's just like an argument to get rid of stats in general. Um, I don't know how you felt about character creation in Starfinder, but I just kind of like baked my stats in and then didn't really worry about it. And it's kind of like, if that's the case, how much are you going to incorporate stats, like stat bonuses for, for races or ancestries or whatever in the first place? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think... I think there's value in saying, say, like, an orc is more likely to be a fighter than a wizard. Um, and encouraging that by giving them a strength bonus. Or if they're a wizard, they're a wizard that could still, like... Like, in 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 5e, uh, dwarves get, uh, like, hammer proficiency and axe... Like, so, some level of armor and axe proficiency by virtue of being dwarves. And so, I'm a dwarf warlock. They don't normally get hammer proficiency... 
but I have it because I'm a dwarf, and I think that kind of thing is valuable. Yeah. Um, but making it attainable by some other means, I think, is is also important. So, like, so like the things that are encouraged aren't to the point of exclusion, like you have right now with with dwarven sorcerers. Right. Um, but still making it so that your typical dwarf that you see is probably a is probably um, not a sorcerer is is still okay, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I just kind of like wonder if there's a way to do it. Like maybe the, like maybe you know how in Pathfinder, or I'm sorry, in Starfinder, every point you put in gives you like two or whatever, um, up to like the cap. Like maybe there's some way to like, it's all it's all very convoluted. I feel like I in a way yeah. I almost want stats to matter more than in Starfinder, um, where I kind of feel like they're just, it's just like telling you how the first four points you assign go or whatever it is. Um, what, what, what do you mean by that? Like, like in Starfinder, I just kind of feel like the points don't, like, like I think so could get, like, plus two dex, plus two int, minus two something, minus two strength or something like that. It just tells you where the first four of your, it gives you four oh, extra okay. points and then auto assigns them for you, which I think is kind of less interesting. I, I see what you're saying. I don't know. Um, Maybe you create different, um, like, where you say, like, you can get plus two whiz or plus two strength or something like that you know what i mean i don't know whatever um but i but i think the real cool part here is in ancestral feats right yeah um, which are kind of like it's it's kind of like absorbing racial traits as a system um and i think that that's actually pretty cool like i actually really love like in war in the warcraft rpg you can do this you can take racial levels in your race right like i can, t I can take tauren levels and i can get um uh, specific, like, bonuses and class features that are about my Torin heritage or whatever. And I think it just has stuff like, you know, like, well, now you're, you know, your horns are strong enough that you get a gore attack and stuff, you know what I mean, and stuff like that. But I think that that kind of stuff is very cool and very flavorful, and I like the idea that you're um, expanding the ancestral, like, the racial trait system uh, and, like, the ancestral feat system to more thoroughly account for that stuff. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think those those types of things are better handled by by feats than than paragon levels or, or whatever. Because we've seen several flavors of that in in five in in uh, not in not five e in four e and and three five actually. Yeah. Um, I'm not super convinced that those were super well implemented, but I think I think like, um, like Oriads in PF can get like Earth Glide as racial feats. Um, I think stuff like that's really cool. Um, if you wanted to like lean into your to your ancestry a little bit more, uh -huh. um, something else that uh, speaks to me a little bit on here is that you you have a background which just seems lifted kind of straight out of five E. They haven't said anything in detail about it, but the fact that they have a background, which is a thing that you also get in five E, is, is is interesting to me. How how important is it to five E? Because I actually think the background is pretty cool. Um, it is kind of as important as you want it to be like my character is a mason and that's very core to his character like he's he's a member of a guild he's a guildsman which is the name of the background and his guild is the mason's guild and it is so very important to his character like basically all like whenever he enters a new town he like goes and checks in at the mason's guild um and he's like really kind of he, he i built that as part of like the core belief of my character but you don't have to do that you can just as easily be like well you know, I was a traveling mercenary, and uh, it gave me proficiency with, like, 
it gives me proficiency with like artisans' tools, um, mechanically. Uh-huh. Um, but I go to kind of be like, I used to be a mason, whatever, and just go about my business, right, and, and not really care too much about it. Uh, or I'm still a mason, right, and I just kind of pay my dues and I pay lip service to the guild, but I don't care so much. Oof, this is a radical idea, but how do you feel about tying the stat bonuses that are traditionally on races to backgrounds? Um, I think... Like, do you want backgrounds to be fundamentally like an RP thing, right? Um... I or think, would yeah, that be a way to kind of like solve this problem? Because now all of a sudden, anybody you like, you can be a dwarf sorcerer. All you have to do is pick, you know, dwarf and, you know, something that gives you plus ka, right? Like, whatever, I kind, creature or something, and you combine those two. Now you have. I kind of want them to be a little like. I can see that working. I'm just worried that what that means instead of instead of being a dwarf sorcerer. Meaning you, you like, instead of it being it, essentially the mechanics of it enforcing, like uh, forcing your background choice. Right. I, I, I like, you know, the optimal choice is always to pick the, the preacher for a sorcerer because it gives you the charisma bonus. And that's always the best thing for you to do. That is a thing that I don't want. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it would be several different options, obviously. Um, or maybe, you know, like maybe you would, um, but, but, but similar, like, in that but, same but, but you wouldn't want to have to say I have to pick one of these charisma buffers. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and again, I think that that's something that's solved. I think I don't think that's something you can solve on the kind of race background. And if you implement it like that, I think it's something you have to solve on the uh, on kind of the math end and be like, when you start your your starting values can't be over this much. Um, or they cap it this much or whatever. Because um, I, I believe Starfinder, if I remember correctly, caps starting values at 18, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's an important thing. Like, that that mechanic, I think, single-handedly does more for doing off-builds than anything else. Okay. Um, I, th- I, think you, I, I think now that you, you say it, you're right. It kind of, like, makes it a little bit muddier, and or it makes it a little bit less interesting when you're making those stat decisions but i'm not convinced there's a good way to get both um maybe if you apply racial bonuses after you do um uh you do stat allocation i was was thinking something along those lines right because it costs two to buy your 17th and 18th point like maybe you can buy up to 16 and then your racial will go on top and so you get 17 18 essentially for half price or or doesn't seem game breaking right yeah or, or the the way that it kind of also it's like if you wanted to, you could push it to eighteen and start at twenty with your racial, which I don't think is too game breaking either. It's like two points, yeah. Um, or you know, and that's a plus one, right? Remember, it's not a, it's not. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think something along those lines because because uh, I I think I don't like the way it is in in Starfinder just from, uh, just because I don't feel it in the same way. Okay. Because I, at the same time that I want I want people to be able to play off builds, and I think that this is just a lot to allow people to play off builds. Um, I don't. I I think that there is something to be said for someone um, who specifically chooses a race. You know what I mean? Um, like it's one of those things where <clears throat> with new players or something, <clears throat> like sometimes you can just d- define new races to people. 
like all seven races to people and they're having a hard time choosing and you can kind of use the stats to like break the tie in a way right um or somebody you know like who wants to be you know like i, I don't know i i feel like that there is uh, there is um uh, there is value to the fantasy of kind of aligning to your kind of like intended racial classes or something like that. Right? Yeah, yeah, um, no, absolutely. Yeah. That, 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 that's what I was talking about when I said like, I think it's 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 okay and good to encourage dwarves not to be sorcerers most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I actually wonder if I like uh, if I like background specifically from like an RP standpoint. Um, typically the way that Pathfinder, I, I don't like, this has like been thrown into sharp relief in, um, in 7C because it's so like RP heavy. Um, but, um, the heavy systemization that comes with Pathfinder, um, means that most, Pathfinder has a very tough time systemizing RP interactions. And I used to kind of think that these two things were just kind of like anathema, right? You couldn't do it, right? Uh, because RP just has to be flexible in the moment you systemize something, you tie it down. Uh, but 7C, in, in going through the process of like building a character and stuff like that, has really kind of proven me wrong in that instance. Um, and I think that Pathfinder could do more in order to systemize RP. And if they wanted to use backgrounds as a way to do that, I think that that would be... Oh, excuse me, that that would be very cool. And I, and I per- also think Perhaps as have... a way to implement tags... Uh. Yeah, 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 right? Um, and I also think that th- this is something that I could see changing in Pathfinder 2.0 um, along the lines of, um, uh, like, not like, the, so, the way that, so the way that bonuses work in, like, Starfinder or whatever is, it like, reduces DCs or something when it's, like, a particularly, like, applicable situation, which is kind of like, all right, but, you know. And, and like that's just something that people just forget shit like that. You know what I mean? Um, whereas I feel as though maybe with with this new system with Pathfinder, you can kind of, um, we're sorry, with like backgrounds with Pathfinder, you can really like open up options, if that makes sense. Um, so like for instance, like let's say I'm a dwarf and I have the background of you know being a dwarven. You know what I mean? Like the background. The background is that I am specifically like racially aligned with this dwarven, you know, whatever. Um, and that means that every interaction I have with like a dwarf is plus whatever. You know what I mean? Um, or something along those lines. And those bonuses are big and they're meaningful, right? They're not like oh the DC changes by you know whatever the number is, right? Or you get a plus like like traits are like this. You get a plus one in this like super specific instance. It's like no. When you're hanging out with a dwarf, you get plus fours to all of your social skills. You know, like huge bonuses. Um, plus four, obviously, being like a twenty percent success increase right. or whatever. Um, I think that that's the way that you want to systemize um, RP in Pathfinder. Otherwise, it, everything just falls by the wayside, which is lame. Yeah, I I, I can see that. Um, I'm not so sure how I just specifically implement it, but I I think I think that that idea has legs. Oh my god, you know what? Nick is going to hate me for, for recommending this. Um, but uh, but I think the way that you handle it is like inspiration. You give people bonus die, like bonus D6s. Um, when like their, you know, like when their like background is particularly applicable or something. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I can see that. Um, that because, you can, because the cool part about that is that um, 
first of all, it adds like more like kind of like dynamic rolling and stuff like that. But it's basically applicable to everything because you can add a d6. Like, let's say my background is goblin hunter, and every time I fight a goblin, add a d6. You know what I mean? Or if my background is I'm a dwarf friend, all of my social interactions with dwarves add a d6. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that kind of thing. Um, I, I I think you could like that's that's basically the way that we play inspiration in uh in 5e my group um mm -hmm. as written you just kind of can spend it whenever you want um but uh the way we like to play is you you only spend it on things that make a lot of sense for your character to be embracing um i think that's i think that's uh pretty neat um i i, th I think it could work well that way um on so um to kind of get away from this race talk for a little bit um, I had a, I have a wish that's a little bit out there. And I want to see what you think. Okay, um, give me. Um, and it's 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 very mechanicy, but I want them to get rid of this weird half step thing and just make stats one to one. Like, uh, you start at zero and a one is a plus one, uh, instead of doing this weird like ten and like eleven is a half step bullshit. Wait, I'm sorry. So you know how like scores go from like roughly like at starting like eight to sixteen. But, like, the actual impact of those scores are, like, a, a, plus, a 10 and 11 are plus 0, and a 12 and a 13 are plus 1. Okay. I want them, instead of doing that, to just have, like, base scores to be, like, minus 1 to plus 4, and have them do away with, like, the weird half-step numbers. Like, 13. Yeah. Instead of 13, instead of 12 and 13, that's, 12 and 13 are 1. You know, man, this is weird. I this is nostalgia. This is nostalgia. Actually, that's what this yeah. is. Because I want to argue against you, but like I am immediately affronted by the reason of there really is no reason for this stuff to exist anymore. Specifically, because it's an artifact from three point five that exists because you rolled for your stats in three five, um, where you know you rolled forty six, drop the lowest or whatever. Um, yeah, and it, but it's, like we're so far gone from that era that it just makes no logical sense anymore and if if you want to roll for stats you can still do that you just translate it to their numbers and you put that number on your sheet instead of having the 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 the, the weird derived yeah numbers. it's such a bait it's such like every version of these systems has had has kept this in touch you know what i mean if i tell you i have a 16 dex you automatically translate that in your mind to a plus three Dex modifier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like so, and it's and it's in everything. All of the changes to fourth edition, fifth edition, right? Wait, wait. Fifth edition has it, right? Yeah. His, his ability scores. Okay. All it, it has weathered every iteration. That would be radical. Starfinder, right? Like radical. I feel like such a cornerstone of the of the game to pull out. Holy shit. Yeah, and, and as much as I believe that it's not necessary, I don't think they're going to do it for exactly that reason. That it's just a thing that like hits too hard at, like, the heart of the issue. Like, I, I, I kind of, like, like, I think there is that, that tendency to just be like, no, that can't be right. And then when you think about it, it makes sense. But, like, getting people to think about it for long enough to not be mad about it. Um, okay, so the last thing I wanted to talk about is I, I pitched this in, in our D&D &D Facebook chat. Uh, but just to kind of, like, re-explain for the folks at home... Um, Something that I hope that they do um, is specifically expand on mundane equipment um, 
kind of in the vein of how pathfinder does its equipment which is i i would love an integration of item levels and the way item levels work and like cre and like uh, like credits and like increasing and decreasing you know gold and stuff like that um uh as you level up but you're capped at you know plus one or plus two kind of like whatever it is or whatever um but implement that system specifically for arms and armor in pathfinder and on top of that um i suggested a system wherein the kind of light armor medium armor heavy armor gets disbanded for kind of armor types along uh the kind of like wow lines of cloth armor leather armor mail armor plate armor kind of uh and, and cascading down right like if you have plate you have training and everything below it or whatever um and then you give um and then so they have 12 classes to start the 11 normal base classes plus alchemy um and you give armor proficiencies to the classes kind of like based on that but then otherwise you can pull them uh you can pull them off of um uh, uh you can pull them through feats yeah feats um uh, I'm trying to see what I where I actually like listed out what I would prefer for each of the um... okay so this is what I wrote out that cleric sorcerer wizard monk all are in cloth druid rogue alchemist bard in leather barbarian fighter paladin ranger in mail um, and then you can opt into plate proficiency as like a specific defensive feat line right instead of going weapon focus you go plate proficiency and you get like buffs but on top of this you also increase the number of vectors on which armor can um be uh like like on which armor is 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 valuable right so for instance um right now in pathfinder basically all armor it gives you plus 10 as some combination of max dex bonus and the base ac it gives you and that kind of just like equivocates the whole thing into nothingness right nobody ever really worries about different types of armor um but i think in the way that in starfinder you know you have kac you have uh eac you have upgrade slots right um, i think you could add in movement speed to this especially with like the three action system you could say that like yeah plate armor tanks your movement right but if the increase in armor that it gives you is so substantial right that, that it's like a big deal or whatever or you could also have like okay i'm a ranger right but i'm a ranger who who specifically opts into leather armor rather than male armor because uh you know because i'm looking for kind of whatever bonuses or whatever options male gives me or or cloth gives me right like like i don't want this to be like so in wow plate armor is definitionally better than cloth armor which is not something that i'm looking for i think the value of the armor proficiencies you get as a paladin a fighter or a barbarian or a ranger is that you have options right so that if you want to maximize movement speed you know you take leather or something like that and if you want to maximize i don't know like like if you're a paladin who wants to maximize casting maybe you take cloth i don't know how cloth would work but like how do you feel about like this kind of thing oh and by the way all of this stuff is mundane none of this stuff like deals with magic and i would argue that it comes down to special materials right so that like iron iron full plate is pretty cheap but doesn't give you the same kind of benefits that like you know you move up one step and now you're at you know dragon steel full plate and then you move up one step and you're at mithril full sorry full plate and then you and then you're up one step and you're at adamantite full plate or whatever and that's the way that that's the way that progresses uh how do you how do you feel about how do you feel about this whole thing that i just lined out uh, so in, in terms of kind of like the scaling stuff i think that that's okay um specifically on uh cloth leather mail plate i think that's i don't see the value in that and I, in fact I, i'm gonna 
push back pretty hard against it because I think that it unnecessarily limits what the form stack can take. I think if you want to divide it into four categories and call it like light, medium, heavy, and super heavy or whatever else you call it, I think that's much better. I think like having like medium run the gamut from leather to like mithril shirt, I think is a much better way to do that um, than tying it to specific materials. Um, and I think it allows for broader kind of application of, of fantasy. Um, but I think the things that you're all deriving from that, I don't think you're actually reliant on those material features at all. Yeah, that, that's th its own thing. I actually, I like the flavor of that, to be honest with you, um, uh, more than anything else. See, I, I, I just prefer kind of like um, the kind of like lack, like the, 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 the breadth of of the uh, original, like of, of the original designations and kind of like letting you flavor that the way you want. Um, kind of in that vein, things that I want out of the system are um, less ACP, uh, not ACP, uh, Arcane Failure Penalty, um, uh, which there's none in in in, uh, in 5e, which I really like. Um, there's, um, what else, what other aspect of this is there? Um, I like the way 5e handles Armor Check Penalty, which is there's none on light it's a max of plus two on medium and then heavy there's no um there's no bonus at all but there's also no penalty so you don't take um like my 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 character has negative decks and so by putting on heavy armor he has negated the fact that he's negative decks which is, i think uh, a, a kind of shift in this direction that i really like that like you can kind of make up for some of your your problems that way mm. um but, but something I really want the system to solve, and I don't think that 5e has solved it, is that if you get heavy armor, as if you get, like, increasing armor proficiencies as a base feature of the class, those are things that you are paying for with your power budget that if you choose not to use, work against you, if that makes sense. I'm sorry, can you run that by me one more time? So, if you're assigned, if you get medium and heavy armor proficiency at character creation by not using medium and or heavy armor by use choosing to use light armor you have essentially thrown away a piece of your power budget that was um right. spent okay. on I get, I get on that, medium yeah. or heavy armor and i'd like to see a, a way to, to get around that problem yeah i think better. the only way you get around that problem is you create different like armor kind of like vectors for like I, I talked about this before with weapons it's easier to define with weapons where yeah. like a great axe gives you like the the benefit of a great axe is its critical strike the benefit of a sword is its accuracy the benefit of a maul is its flat damage this is from fourth right. edition right um, and i think that by the way that should definitely translate also into weapons i'm actually in the midst of this and i find it amazing um, in Starfinder because like I, I upgraded to long arms or whatever but I'm comparing you know like it, comparing and contrasting different long arms isn't just a matter of okay you know the item level is a little bit higher right but this one has the has the special property of boost which I can spend a move action to increase its damage by a d6 right and I am the per I am a I am a character that kind of sits in turrets more often than not. So having the option to boost makes this specific gun better than me better for me than this other specific gun, right? Like I think yeah. those kinds of things um, are are really important, and I think that you need to implement those in armor to kind of create like equivalencies along uh, 
you know, in my terms, right, cloth, leather, male, plate, right? In your terms, heavy, medium, light, yeah. or whatever. Um, and I think that, in, you know, like, and I think that they need to be, like, it's tough because a lot of the way, a lot of times you're comparing incomparables, right? It's basically ridiculous for someone to opt into plate armor in Pathfinder um, because the hamper to movement speed is never worth the AC bonus. Um, and so if that's a particular vector that you want to influence, that you want to encourage, right, you really have to pump the AC in order to make it worthwhile. Um, so... Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, was there anything else from the, from the blog that you wanted to call out? Um, I like the idea that they're that they're divorcing uh, monsters from players. The more I like, the, I used to I love go that. the other I other way that. on that, but I think I think it's ultimately the right way. I to I mean, go. yeah, I build I build monsters. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. The way that I build monsters, I build monsters more alongside um, fourth edition than I do through. Pathfinder third edition. I find building building out monsters and characters in Pathfinder to just be frankly dumb. Um, I uh, I pretty commonly. I mean, you would hate me because I'm breaking from the sacred contract. Uh, but I pretty commonly just assign values to what I think their damage or prof you know like what they're to hit or to their 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 damage should be based on your ba like based on the composition of the party more so than any kind of like you know, like a priori kind of set of feats and stat bonuses and whatever else, right? Like, I'm really not interested in that kind of bullshit. See, I, I, I think the issue there is that you you even, you basically make player choices. Like, if if you're building the, 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 uh, the, the monsters to approximate kind of the, um, the 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 hitting power of the players then you're robbing from them the fact that they've specialized into those things right like if if it's always going to be a 10 to hit something it doesn't matter if they made their strength an 8 or an 18 because you're always kind of normalizing those scores which is i think the danger there um, so i feel like that that's just what happens in practice anyway that's the difference between a cr1 and a cr9 monster right uh, I don't. I don't. I, I a CR nine. It's like a CR nine monster is a monster that's challenging because of you know, like it has a certain set of, it has HP values, it has AC values, it has um, attack values that are approximated to make for an engaging combat with the players. Right. It's right. Not engaging to fight a quarter CR goblins as a tenth level player because they never hit you. Do you know what I mean? I, I yeah I see what you're but what I'm what I'm saying is is that if a party of four level ten characters goes up against a CR ten monster, ideally the player that is specialized in swinging his axe better should have an easier time hitting them uh, than the player who hasn't. And if all four of your characters have specialized in swinging their axes better, they should all have an easier time hitting it um, versus you know like whatever other other numbers you could screw with and if you raise the cr10 armor or the, the armor of the cr10 encounter to account for the fact that all your characters are really good at hitting things with their axes then you've robbed from them the fact they've chosen to make 
their character is better at hitting stuff. So uh, this is going to sound more – like, I'm not trying to make this, like, argumentative. Um, but to me, that's kind of like a straw man – nobody nobody runs a, a campaign like that. And nobody has characters like that. And if you did, you would have to, like, accommodate – um, but I think I, I think I think I think that's, that's untrue. That's like fundamentally untrue. That's why like Pathfinder Society exists. And why uh, well, League so exists. I think that the, you run uh, those all as written. So I think that the piece that you're missing, hypothetically, or like the piece that is missing from this conversation, is that it's not about making. It's not about like defining absolutes, right? Where I say that the party should hit this monster 35 percent of the time. Therefore, I, I crunch the numbers or whatever, right? Um, and and make it. Uh, and make it that as like any kind of rule it's that that is in service to the like to the construction of the encounter as a whole right um so something that i use for this is the different kind of monster types from fourth edition right so for instance there are artillery monsters right who are high attack bonus high damage uh low hit points low ac from like range you know what i mean so it's easy to hit these guys Right, and they and they crumble pretty quickly, but they do a lot of DPS unless you can get you know like unless you can get hits on them and take them out, right? Um, or the, or a better way to example to explain this is like okay, so there's a, a class called the soldier, right? Or like an archetype. I don't remember what they call them in fourth edition. The soldier has high AC, um, uh, medium attacks, like or like medium attacks, medium HP or whatever, versus a brute which has low AC but high HP. Right, so one of them is kind of like a soak, and the other one is kind of like a, like a like a tank. Um, yeah, and so the interaction between those two things is different for any individual party, right? Because if I'm a two, if I'm a if I'm full attacking as a dual wielding character, my attack bonuses are lower, right? But I'm getting, but I'm but I'm rolling more. He, this guy is the guy that chews through a brute, right? Because the barrier to entry essentially for him is uh the barrier to entry for him is the the high ac right so if you have a brute with a low ac he's landing a whole bunch of things in his dual wielding full attack and he's just going to chew through this guy right right um, whereas the soldier who has a high ac this is the guy who you know if he has uh whatever that feat is called um uh weapon focus you, yeah uh no not weapon focus god the one where you roll like the single standard attack but it like ups your weapon damage Oh, uh, Vital Strike? Vital Strike, right? Like, if I'm a Vital Strike guy, um, and I'm rolling at my highest BAB, I'm going to do much better against the Soldier than I am, uh, the, or than the dual-wielding guy is, because the dual-wielding guy is going to tink off the dude's armor and not land a lot of hits, whereas I am going to, like, land my one big hit, right? And this, uh. and this goes out all the way into, into... It's not just, like, ACs and to hit them, right? But it is how often are they hitting party members... How well can they resist spells with saves, right? There's all of these different vectors to it um, that allow for kind of the, the, the encounter to be kind of like a, like a puzzle um, in a way that, like, the, the players need to figure out, right? And this isn't even getting into the specific ability, like, you know, abilities and attacks and stuff like that, that, these, guys are, um, that these guys are running around in. Okay. Sure. I, I, I see that. I mean, I'll, I'll point out that Vital Strike isn't good against high AC. Vital Strike is meant for, like, high DR things. Uh, uh, you actually want the extra attacks so that you mitigate your, your chance of, of missing. You just want a high to hit for that. But the, the point is well taken. Um, but part of that's tele telegraphing those things to the players. And, like, I still think that that has no real bearing on the idea that if you're, if you're building your encounters 
to your players as opposed to some kind of like modal norm that you're robbing players of of their their optimizations. Oh, I see what you're saying. I didn't I didn't realize. Yeah, uh, um, it is. It is more building to a norm than it is to your players specifically. Sure, yeah. Like, like I'm not building encounters because I know that Rakax has a plus whatever, you know, like, I don't know what his plus to hit is, right? Um, uh, or, you know, like, I don't know what, you know, like, I don't know what Marigrug's plus to hit is. Um, it is much more about, okay, you know, who's... A, it's, it's almost comparing the monsters to themselves more than anything else. Because you're comparing the high AC of the, the soldier to the low AC yeah, of the okay, and their saying. HP totals and stuff like that. But you're building that in, in conjunction with kind of like expected, um, you know, kind of like expected values that are coming out of, I, I, the, out of I, the party. I'm much more on board with that. Um, but I will say that kind of the way I, I want them to, I would want them to implement something like that is, one, I want things to just like i want it to be harder to optimize that that well because that makes it easier to kind of like make a standard set of monsters that you can rely on to give your party a challenge um which is a big problem i think in pathfinder um uh where uh, and then the other part of that is that um putting into some of like the description that like knowledge uh knowledge you know nature on a on a brute type animal will tell you straight out that it's a brute and that way you can apply the strategy properly mm -hmm. um and I, I think that's the actual key to making that system work the way it is because i think it's otherwise kind of um kind of hard to 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 feel that out this reminds me of a conversation that um i recently listened to uh or a thing that i recently listened to the angry gm talk about which is basically like there's not a lot of reason to hide target numbers from your players in a lot of ways um and that's and and I've kind of been convinced of of, of his line of thinking, and then I think this kind what, of plays. What, I'm sorry, what do you mean? This so so this maybe will bleed into uh, a little bit of our uh, our, our week talk because this is less Pathfinder two and more, um, more is kind of like general discussion. But uh, um, basically, the angry GM is a proponent of letting players know what DCs are. And what numbers and not because he doesn't see much value in hiding them from the players. Um, the example that that was talked about was like the difficulty of scaling a wall. You should just tell the players what the DC is. Um, and yeah, oh, okay, I, I feel that to a certain extent. Um, I also think well, I mean, because I think the what what's the counter argument to that, right? That like it's an immersion thing that you don't yeah. want the player to be uh, to be aware whether or not they hit just by the role yeah he actually he actually talks about um about how like this affects like combat flow mm -hmm. um like how like uh, or how it affects tension in in a combat scene like the delay between rolling your dice giving the number and getting the result back kills tension more than like being able to kind of like um like putting putting the tension on the actual role itself Right, right. Yeah, no, that that's kind of convincing. I think the other counter argument is that you want to be able to cheat. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then I, the third counter argument I, you, is you, you don't want to get rules. You don't want to get rules lawyered because that's something that I actually. In fact, if there's anything that's tanking for me, I think it's that because like the last thing I want to do is like tell a player like I'm thinking like in terms of like an AC, right? Like I tell someone 
the AC of the monster or whatever. Right. Um, but like the monster has an ability that increases their AC or something like that. And and now all of a sudden, when the AC doesn't match what I've told the players it is or something like that, you know what I mean? Um, now they want to inquire about that change, right? And now do I say, well, he has an ability, right, that lets him do that lets him do this or whatever and that like that's something that like inherently takes out the immersion in fact an example of this that came from hell's rebels is how i talked about the fucking the cygor do you remember the cygor yeah cyclopses have this ability to roll to force a roll to become a nat 20 or whatever and i i adopted that into the cygor and then used it to create kind of like a cinematic moment but that moment was kind of killed because then all of a sudden we were talking about well how did the cygor have the ability to do this um yeah, but I think if you had been up front and been like, you know, it 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 forces it uses its ability and forces the twenty, uh, then that would have stopped that conversation right there. See, like, yeah, but even then we're pulling it out because like the point of it, it wasn't making an attack roll, right? It was making a, it was the cinema, it was the cinematic moment of he hits the the struts of the tower and the tower collapses, right? Um, oh, and well, I think that, it, that I, I think, even I think... preempting it and saying he uses his special ogre ability or he uses his special Cygor ability, right? Uh, I th I think that's more immersive, right? Like when you make when you force something as a cinematic moment, you have told the players that the action is out of their hands, like in totally. The action was out of your hands, right? But like it 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 pulls it 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 pulls, you know, no matter what you do, like. This is going the way it goes because I said so rather than based on some sort of rules thing. I think it is more immersive to say he rolls his attack roll and he forces it to a 20 using his special ability is much more immersive than it does this because I say so. Oh, man, we're never going to agree on this. Yeah, you need to trust your GM. That's the thing. That's the that's the part that kills me. I mean, I... I I think or not you, you specifically, to, no. but the person making this art, you know what I mean? Like I think you the, need to trust your players. You, you, the, no, the, you trust the GM that he's not pulling some bullshit on you when he's doing a cinematic moment like this. Um, I think cinematic moments automatically tell or like inherently telegraph BS. That's because you don't trust people. That's, that's not, not a, the not only a, reason that you think it telegraphs BS is because you don't trust people. It's this not because I, it's not because I don't. Crunch, and you're too married to the same. No, 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 no. That is not. That is not true yeah, at all. That is 100 percent no, true. No, no. Because for enough theater kids to know that the cinematic moment does not immediately grant you, like like create that dissonance. It only creates the dissonance for people who don't trust their GMs. That is I'll not true. It. I know you will, and you're wrong because. <laughs> Because the cinematic moment automatically says that this is going the way I want it to go, not because of something that is that is true to the game world, but because I want it to go that way, nanny nanny poo poo. Like, see, that but that's because you are inferring a contentious relationship with your GM that he's doing it to go nanny nanny poo poo. When the theater I, kid looks at that and he goes, "Oh, the GM is doing this because it heightens the tension in the scene, right?" And all heightening, of a sudden, heightening the tension have, in the scene all of a sudden, is not. Things have escalated. Hanging the tension in the scene for its own sake outside of the mechanics is not valuable. But the, but you are assuming that it is outside of the mechanics. That's the assumption that you're making because you don't trust the GM. I had a reason to do that. I was using mechanics for that reason. The only reason I need to justify it to you is because you don't trust me to back my shit up with my mechanics. And, by the way, the GM is the person who has the fiat in order to create mechanics that do that thing. Right, but a GM I, that yeah, overuses fiat... The Cyclops' specific ability, right? Like, I can point to that on the SRD. But when I'm making... Care, 
creatures that do things that are out of, out of nowhere. I have the right to do that as a GM. And if you, you have the right to that, do whatever you want, it doesn't make you a good GM. Overuse yes, of, it does. It makes, no, it doesn't. It makes overuse you a bad Sophia, player when you're not trusting your no, GM and overuse to back Sophia, his shit up with mechanics. Overuse of fiat makes for a bad GM. I'm not saying overuse of fiat. I'm saying that the default is fiat. And if I had just told you the default that the is not fiat. The default, that do, that do no, no. This, fiat is something you used to, to overrule. The, S, the SRD in order to, to make that foundational. I, I don't think you need to point to the SRD. I think you do need to have an explanation in mechanics. I think that's why a lot of people play this game is because that there's an, a mechanical interaction between different between the things that your player does and the things that happen. And you just kind of say that this happened because it does. That's a uh, strong man argument. That's not what I'm saying. But what I what I the 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 point I'm making is that it's the trust in the GM that makes the difference. Then that that's the that's the thing. Well, whatever. We're not going to agree on this. Uh, no. <laughs> I, 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 it, it's not it's not a trust. I, I I resent the implication that it's a trust thing. Um, it because it, it it's it's not about trust. It's about um playing a game, right? Like at some point you're playing a game and not just telling a story. Anyway, how was your week? Yeah, man, I want to, I want to fight, but I don't want to fight, but I want to fight. Fuck it, fucking fight, it, fight oh, no. This is our I podcast. Know, no, I we can argue this, this out. Uh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna argue at one another for another seventeen minutes and not get anything accomplished. Okay, what did I do this week? You know what? You know what? I, I think that we, we, we need, we need, we need to, we need to do this like formally. I think we, we should write these, write out this argument like formal style, like, uh, like what Oxford style or something. And sit down, and uh, and and argue it out um, with time limits and whatnot, and uh, we can poll the listeners afterwards to see how they felt about it. Um, and uh, maybe may, we'll, we'll figure out a way to do this. But I I think it's uh, honestly honestly I actually I I'm, the more I'm thinking about it, I think what we should do is maybe at Gen Con we in in the pre Gen Con trip that we're planning. We sit down and you and I argue this in front of everybody else who's there, and we do the Oxford style. This is a thing they do on 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 the on the podcast. Listen to, um, or what, one of the things they do is is they you record what people's feelings are beforehand, either um, pro con undecided, and then we make the arguments and then you see how they feel afterwards about it. Because um, I think that's the only way we ever get any satisfaction out of this is uh, is letting other people kind of. Um, kind of weigh in what they think, and I think that the uh, the the kind of voting before and voting after mechanic um, eliminates kind of like well, you have like thirty Captain Crunches in the audience already. Um, problem because they're going to vote ahead of time if they already agree with 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 me or you, right? And then you you look at the change at the end rather than the, the final numbers. Mm, interesting that is interesting especially because i feel as though this is an argument that i would specifically lose because i know what our friend group looks like right but um, i think most of our friend group would vote with me in the first place yeah that's that's true yeah like so it is a way to account to kind of like account yeah. for that or whatever. yeah so so the podcast i listen to that does this is is the reason podcast it's a libertarian podcast and the um the forum that they argue in is very libertarian heavy so they do this to keep the anti-libertarian side from always losing um, <laughs> That's funny. Um, I mean, it actually works fairly well. Um, I should I should start I should start participating in, in these 
as as an avowed anti-libertarian. Oh, well, you 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 ha- you'd have to attend in at a. Oh, oh, I, I assumed it was like online in some. In some I it, it might be online at some in some portion. I just listened to the recordings, um, but they are held in New York, um, uh, and it's it's I, I don't know if they're free online or not. Um, I should look into that because I should do that too and see what it is. It's they're they're interesting. Um, they tend to be around libertarian-ish topics. Um, like one of the more recent ones is like is greed a virtue? Um, it was it was. Uh, oh, wow, that's a lot more kind of philosophical than I would have expected. Yeah, some of them are not like um, the last one was uh, resolved. We should abolish all sex offender registries, um, which has a lot of implications. I don't. I wouldn't recommend listening to that one because I think that the con, like the the uh, negative side of that argument, was just poorly argued by the person that did it. Like I just don't think it was a great person for it. Mm. Um, rather than being necessarily a, a definitive talk on on kind of the the resolution, but that's outside of the scope of this podcast. I think um, let's maybe move on towards uh, your yeah, week and yeah. my week. So I actually haven't been playing anything but like fucking wow. I said I was going to do Into the Breach and I totally didn't because I'm a huge liar. But what I did do is I watched a great movie last night that I want to talk about a little bit called Game Night. Have you heard of Game Night? Is this the one with uh, the dad from Arrested Development? Yeah. Uh, Jason Bateman. Uh, yeah. Do you like Jason Bateman? Uh, do you know him? Do you, do you, uh, are you I, a fan? Is he one of your guys? I have heard good things about um, the Netflix series he's in. Uh, Ozark. The Ozarks? Ozarks, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't Ozark. I wasn't a big good. fan of Arrested Development when I watched it in high school, but I haven't watched it since, so maybe it maybe it'll have grown on me. Um, well, yeah. I'm a big fan of Arrested Development, and he's great, and this movie is great. This movie is actually kind of the most... Uh, it's actually kind of weirdly more of an Edgar Wright movie than, like, Baby Driver was, in terms of, like, it's a comedy, but it's a comedy with, like, a lot of, like, visual flourish. Um and I could honestly, like, so there's a video, uh, there's, like, a video out there called um, How to Do Vig- Visual Comedy, or, like, Edgar Wright, How to Do Visual Comedy, or whatever. And it talks about, like, the difference, and it specifically used uh, the the Amy Schumer movie Trainwreck, which I thought was awful, um, as, like, a counterpoint where um, most, com- like, most American comedies that are in film are basically filmed like television shows. It's super basic shot reverse shot you know what i mean all of the lighting is super bright um and washed out uh and there's no kind of like shadow or anything like that they don't play with focus they don't play with lenses or anything along those lines and game night basically threw all of those rules out the window um uh it all happens at night and there is actual like darkness and shadow right like on the screen or whatever and they do these these like cool camera tricks like there's this moment where um and they, and they get and they get laughs out of this stuff which i think is so great like there's a moment where like a character invites other characters into his home and he just kind of like and he's really creepy and he just kind of like walks back into shit like into shadow and it's just like it's really funny and that's something that you can only get if you think about you know like if you make if you're making jokes out of the lighting in your movie, right? Um, or there's there's a moment where uh, do you know what a rack focus is? Uh, no. Well, describe it 
for so murders. so Iraq focus is like okay let's say I'm shooting something in the foreground something in the background right and they're pretty far apart like something is like a hundred yards away or something right uh, so what a rack focus does is it changes the focus uh, in the frame during the shot right and so typically it's something along the lines of like so there's something in the foreground and your focus is on that thing and then that person looks to the background and then the focus shifts to whatever it is in the background right or like the person in the background talks and this is where you get like the it's blurry and then it fo comes into focus in the person yeah, yeah. Gets, yeah um and it's a great way to kind of like um it's a great way to kind of like obscure things or whatever but there's this really funny there's just like this really funny joke where someone is in the foreground and he's shot in profile and he looks to his side to to at to his neighbor's house and he's like, well, we got to go quickly before this obnoxious neighbor that we don't want to invite to the, to the party comes to the party, right? And so he's, so he's talking, and then he turns and looks at the neighbor's house, right? There's a rack focus to the neighbor. Nobody's there, right? Then he turns back to the person he's talking to. There's a rack focus to the person. And while in the background it's all blurry, the neighbor comes out. And then the other person says something like, too late. And then it's, a, it's another rack focus to the neighbor. And he's standing there. But, like, because it's all in one shot, it's really funny. And they get so much comedy out of this from, like, a filmmaking perspective um, that I think it is worth everyone's, everyone's time. It's, and, it's not even, and it's not just that. Like, it's a little bit of kind of like a rote script comedy, you would kind of call it. Um, uh, there's a... There, so there was a while where I was uh, there was a while where I was reading scripts for a production company um, when I first moved to LA and um, and there are comedies that you and, and so when when you're reading scripts and you're saying like hey this is something that's worthwhile or something that you can pass on a script comedy is a comedy that has a lot of like wordplay right or like funny situations in it but it's also not really like visual like it almost kind of works more as like a stand up routine than it does as a um, uh, then it like does as a you know like as a film essentially um, and it's kind of a it's kind of a negative term but it's not necessarily a negative term um, for instance I would call what's a good version what's a good example of a script comedy um, I don't know just anything that's like focused on that has like a lot of wordplay and you know double entendres and puns and shit like that or whatever uh, like those kinds of movies those kinds of uh those kinds of scripts and there's a lot of that stuff in here too right it's not like it's poorly written it's just but it is specifically well shot which is why i wanted to recommend it okay awesome. also the only reason this is on my radar is that these are the two guys that just got hired to direct the flash movie uh, so i wanted to see what they had up there up their arsenal um and uh so that's 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 why uh, that's why, like, we went to see it, and then I was, like, fucking blown away. It's actually the kid from... Do you ever watch the show Freaks and Geeks? Uh, no. Okay, there's, like, this little kid in that show. He's, like, 10 or whatever. That kid grew up to be this director. Ooh. Uh, he is also the, he is also the screenwriter. These two, these two guys are the screenwriters behind Spider-Man Homecoming. Huh. Well, that, that sounds, that sounds attractive to me. I really like Homecoming. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, is that all you did this week? Uh, that's basically all I did of note. Um, uh, so, so what, what was, what was your week like? Um, I resubbed to WoW, and that was a mistake. Oh shit, yeah, tell me all about how you've been playing WoW. Um, uh, too delirious, deleterious effect to my health and life. <laughs> 
Um, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> basically, I've just been like chewing through content um, as fast, not as fast as possible, because I've been enjoying it. Right, like you, you asked me if I wanted to join your alt raid yesterday, and it's like I hadn't finished all the quest lines, so I didn't want to do that quite yet. Um, like I. As much as I am like a, a, a power gamer type of thing, like I ran through all the quest lines before I did the raids and I did make I didn't make sure I did the raid the wings in order, but I did make sure I did the three constituent wings before I did the fourth final mm-hmm. wing. Um which was Gul'dan and and Kill Jaden, uh, which I did yesterday. Um I've just gotten to Argus. Um I actually, I realized that I screwed this up initially because I didn't do the night hold before I started on the Broken Shore. Um, I was like, wait, where did Illidan come from? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Because he's from, like, this time last year yeah. is when, like, all that stuff was coming out. Because he's just kind of, like, there. Like, mm-hmm. like And, like, <laughs> I did the thing where, like, I got Illidan's soul from Helia, and then, like, like okay, like and I knew that Illidan was part of this expansion, and then like later that night I was thinking, I was like, wait, where the fuck did Illidan come from? Why is he just like standing there on the broken shore? Um, and then I got to see the scene with Gul'dan later, which was cool. Um, I also really liked the fact that they that he crushed um, the skull of Gul'dan because mm-hmm. that was like that that was the plot point in uh, in Warcraft Three. Um, uh, what else is there? Uh, yeah. Um, I started doing Fisher Friend of the Isles because, of Oof. course, I did. I sa- just did all of that. Yeah, I, I sat down and did all of Impus yesterday because it's one per day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just like sitting there, it's like I could go somewhere else, or I could sit here and fish up seven hundred fish. <laughs> um, uh, and it's it's one of those things where like I don't know about the rest of them, but for Impus in particular. Um, it's you're helped tremendously by there being other people there. Yeah, yeah. You uh, almost always want to get into one of the parties. Yeah, uh, like these um, big raids. Yeah, and so it's just kind of like, and so like, whereas I think the ideal way to do this is you sit there and you fish while you're waiting for like a raid to pop or something. You can't do mm-hmm. that if you're in the group. Um, so the ideal way to farm is just to like get into this fishing raid and like fish for like two hours on end, which is fine. Um, I didn't feel like. It's just kind of one of those things where I'm just like, ah, must fish more um, and must, like, do more and must make outfits for the trial of style, which, uh, as you know, I managed to win once um, with Dark and Deadly, um, which I didn't expect to win, uh, but I felt real good about it. Oof. Um, I, I love the trial of style. I've, I've actually gotten a first place win on all of my characters so far. Oh, nice. Congrats. Because uh, I've done one on Baron, because I'm, tr- I'm doing it to get all the things, and you do, so... Baroness Plate, and then I did Zan Hao for um, male, and then I just did Kai Sheng, who's my monk for leather. Uh, but I've also kind of been, like, reusing. So uh, so I get fun and flirty a lot. Um, for those of you who don't know, Trial of Style puts you in a group with six people, um, and you all put on a transmog according to just, like, a random theme. There's, like, 20 different themes. Um, and then it puts you up in pairs, and you vote for your preference, um, and then it ranks them based on the number of votes, right? First, second, third sort of thing. Uh, so for Zan Hao, I got Fun and Flirty. Um, or I think I got Make Me Laugh, actually. And uh, so I got Make Me Laugh, and I didn't know what to do. Um, so I took off Zan Hao's chest, and I gave him the blue lumberjack shirt, 
And then I have this two-handed axe that looks like just like a pretty mundane axe. And then I got up there, and then in like the slash say chat, I was like, fuck trees. <laughs> and, then, and then I got first place because it's just because I said fuck trees and I made all these jokes about trees uh, and then I did the same thing with Kaishung um, yeah the, the though old... with him though with him I took I, though with him it was like a it was like a buccaneers shirt and a harpoon and I said fuck whales <laughs> yeah no I, I, I've been enjoying the trial of style a lot um, the only thing I don't like is that like Doing it on my character, Billamong, like, fist weapons, there's, like, four of them in the game. So I had to go out and, like, and because this expansion is the way it is, I had to go out and, like, buy, like, a staff off the auction house. That way I had something to transmog the staff into. Ooh, do you not have heirlooms? I always use heirlooms for this. Oh, that's a good point. I you still, can just generate heirlooms on your character. That makes perfect sense. I didn't think about it. Um, I got two more appearances out of it, or three more appearances out of it, so I didn't feel too bad about it. Yeah, I feel that. Um, uh, but, uh, um, yeah, uh, like, uh, another part of it too is that, like, uh, uh, like, it feels like Slutmog wins more than it should. Like, like, there was, like, like, Winterwear won, where it was just, like, 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 some blood elf in Slutmog with just, like, with, like, basically, like, you know, like, an icy weapon and that person was like this is bullshit i put effort into my and like my <laughs> costume wasn't great um like i would um like i, I kind of go went for more like a like you know like a dark like you know more practical looking one which isn't always flashy but like there was like a great like guy kitted out and what looked like icc type gear like just like very icy looking gear that looked great um that i thought should have won I was like, this is bullfucking shit. I also uh, think people vote ironically in a lot of ways. Yeah. This happened last night because Rachel and I were doing them together. Um, Wait, and, can, can uh, you group up and do them? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and that, 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 that explains a lot. That feels like you could just, like, pad the votes. You can. I mean, I don't, like, to be honest, it kind of, like, sounds lame to a certain extent. But she had gotten all of the appearances she needed, but I needed one more. I needed one more participation to get, like, over the top. Uh, to get my the last like set of appearances or whatever, right. and so she just used the trans and it was like tabard time or whatever, and so she just used the transmog to get back into her regular transmog for free, um, and then she went up there and without a tabard and just said, "I'm gonna level with you. I just did this to get back into my transmog to go questing," and then she got first place. <laughs> so so I think there's a certain amount of voting that is like not really in good faith. But, uh, but you know, whatever. It's, yeah. uh, it's fun. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I thought that the one I got first on, I thought somebody else should have won. Um, like, I thought mine was neat, but I didn't think it was as as, 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 as good as, as one of the other players in it. Mm. Um, um, but I felt all right because I thought I should have won the, the, the Summerware one in my regular mog because it's a great Summerware set. I got second for that one. Yeah. I, was, and I didn't think the person who was first place was any better, really. Um, I've noticed some other things, too. Like... Uh, uh, Gammon now has animations for all of my monk moves, which is great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, instead of doing the weird thing where, like, uh, when you, when you tumble, he just kind of, like, glides, uh, like, he, he does, like, a, a glide across the floor. He actually does, like, the spin. It's, it's, it's really nice. I'm very happy with it. Uh, but, yeah, I've been ruining my life with that. That was I'm most of my I'm, week. I'm glad, I'm glad that you're back on, uh, back on the train. Uh. <laughs> I just need to munch through all of this content before I, like, really ruin myself. 
I just, I just need to finish all the base content, so I'm at the point where I'm just kind of doing a little bit each day. Yeah, 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 I feel that. Um, and that's kind of like the, the tough part about WoW to a certain extent, I feel like. Yeah, I need to, or that I need to be better at moderating myself, but, you know, what have I ever been good at that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have been particularly bad about I like because I want to play other things, but I'm just like I just can't stop with 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 WoW because I just started playing Hunter for the first time, and Marksman Hunter is just like I don't know what it is. It's just it really hits the class fantasy to me of like being like a badass like shooty guy. Um, and there's like cool and, and so and so like for some reason I just keep I just like keep playing. Uh, I can't put this like put this like Hunter down. Um, yeah, no, I I've wanted to make a marksman hunter for some time. I think that's one of the ones I plan on making at some point. Um, not that I ever really play my alts, uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that's about all we have time for. Uh, if you'd like to email us what you think about what what your hopes and dreams are for PF uh, Pathfinder Edition Two, or uh, uh, about our disagreement or about wow, you can email us at simdurfsplaygames at gmail dot com or podcast at dot com. You can follow us on Twitter, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, anywhere that fine podcasts are found, anywhere that bad podcasts are found as well. Um, and you can leave us comments, leave us ratings. We appreciate all of it. Uh, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, did you have anything else that you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.